with, with, uh, with, with guys in my life that would, would coach me and train me and talk to me and build me up and lift me up. Luke has been one of those. David Holler, Wes, guys, guys that, are, that I was doing life with. I met Luke through David. You see there's this kind of the spider web of, of weaving of relationships that goes on that, that God uses to build up our calling. So it's not just resting on me. It's also, it's also a family affair. Does that make sense? So, so for me, Acts, this, these past 20 chapters, uh, my family soon is looking at planting a church here in Knoxville. We're going to be, we're going to be planting a church out of this church, um, and, and we're excited about that. And Acts, that's what Acts is about. That's what we see a lot of different things going on in Acts. We see, some, you know, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see we, Jesus has left. Uh, people are being martyred. The first church is planted and moved forward. Um, Peter speaks. There's, there's, there's huge revival, basically. So Acts is, is, a, is a church planting book. That's, that's just what it is. Overall, for me, it's a church planting book. And so this morning, as we're diving in and look at this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna try to try to pull out uh, some things and show you Jesus real clear this morning. And my hope and my prayer this morning has been, the whole time I've been prepping, is that you would see Jesus up here and not me. Right, that you would hear the Holy Spirit, not me. So let's let's get started. We're actually going to pick up in verse seven, um, but I'm going to give you kind of a thirty thousand foot view of verse one through six. We just don't have a lot of time, so I want to kind of condense some of this. So we're looking at in verse twenty or chapter twenty. It starts off Paul and uh, Macedonia and Greece. He's headed there, and what happens is you see him. He stays. He stays in Ephesus until the riot ends. Last week, if you were here in chapter nineteen. We saw a riot break out, right? People were rioting. Luke talked about that, did a great explanation. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It was great. But, but one thing important to remember in this particular part of the text is he doesn't leave in the middle of the fight, right? When it got nasty, he didn't leave. He stays. It doesn't say for really how long. We don't know exactly how long, but he stays, and he doesn't leave until the, until the uproar had ceased. So Scripture does tell us he waits until that is done. And then he heads uh, to Macedonia and then on to Greece. He gathers some men um, and, go, and, heads to, and to, heads to Troas, okay? So that's where he, that's where he heads. Um, and and the, the time frame for this, just a fun fact for the time frame of this is um, this was written, Acts 20. Luke wrote Acts, right? And Luke is writing Acts 20 around the same time Paul is writing his letter to the Corinthian church. Okay, so if you, today we don't have time to do that, but if you could, later on, maybe if you're going over this stuff, you can go back and read Corinthians, and that's where, that's where Paul's heart is in the midst of what's going on here. So Luke is, Luke is writing this, and that kind of gives us an idea of where, where his heart is at as he moves. So let's go on, let's, let's start verse 7. We, uh, we get to hear a fun, fun story of a, of a, of a boy or a young man, Eutychus, um, that's raised from the dead. That's where we're going to pick up and start. Sorry to go, sorry to go hard on the on the Holy Spirit right up front, but that's what we're going to be talking about because I really want to show you, show you some fun things in the story. And as we read this, I want you to ask yourself, do you have room in your theological tank for this kind of work that the Holy Spirit does, this kind of power that Paul has and he exhibits in this text? I want you to ask yourself that question. You can write it down, remember it, whatever you want to do, but do you have room in your theological tank for what we're about to read? Verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we, gathered, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Okay, pause. We know Luke Thomas is, is, is related to Paul because those long-winded speeches, right? That's how, we, that's how we know that Luke and Paul are related in some level. I haven't done the genealogy, but I'm going to 
I'm going to look at that because I believe it's true. So, so we also, I mean, you, you just see he's, is, is Luke is, I, I, think it's, I think it's great how Luke has given an example of, of, of how long Paul is talking. It says he goes till midnight, right? I mean, he's, he's talking into the night. They're burning lamps. They're all gathered there, okay? It says, uh, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down, Eutychus, fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer, a long while, until daybreak. And so departed. Verse 12. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So, so Luke does a great job here, I think, of, of, kind of, of kind of messing with Paul a little bit in the story, you know, talking about how he's, he's long-winded, basically, right? And then he kind of provides a little example. There's, the room's kind of stuffy, so that's why this guy fell asleep. That's what, that's what scholars are saying. There are many, the, the reference to many lamps in the upper room, so it'd be, it'd be really hot, right? Just, just consumed with, the, with a lot of making the air real heavy. And this guy, this kid, right, they don't know how old, somewhere between the ages of 20 and about 30 is what they think. He's sitting in the window seal. And he nods off and falls asleep in the middle of Paul's. This is Paul, right? Some of you are already falling asleep with me. But this is Paul, right? He has the opportunity. And he, he falls out of this window. Okay, so three stories up, he falls out, lands on the street, and he's dead. It doesn't say he was kind of dead or he looked dead. He was taking up dead, right? So he is dead. And Paul goes down, wraps him up in his arms, and says, Do not be alarmed, for life is in him. And that's why I ask you do, you, have, do you have room in your theological tank for this? Because we're okay as a people, we're okay as Christians reading about Jesus, right, being raised from the dead, right, and Jesus raising Lazarus. We're, we're, we're okay with that. But when we start, getting, we start venturing out of that, you know, we start, we start kind of venturing into the world of, other, of others, we kind of start to hesitate and pull back a little bit. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, so he's, he was, well, he wasn't, he was just passed out, right? He was, he was asleep. He was kind of knocked unconscious. No, no, he was dead, and, and, and what we miss and where we fall and where we fail, particularly in this area, is that we forget that we have that same power. We forget we have the power that, that Paul had, the same power the Holy Spirit resides. If you're saved in here today, you're a Christian, you have the same power that Paul had. I mean, people were, we, we read earlier, people were in, people were touching this guy's handkerchief and being healed. Right? Remember that part of the story of Acts but we can't, where we fail is we can't let God be God, right? We've got to add our own interpretation to what's going on. When was the last time, I'm going to challenge you this morning, when was the last time when somebody said, hey, you know, I'm sick or I'm not feeling good or, man, this is going on. When was the last time you just stopped them and said, let's pray right now, brother. Let's pray for this right now. You put your hand on them and prayed. Listen, Luke's been sick for like a month, right? He's been coughing and hacking. And everything, and I'm guilty of this. I haven't once stopped that man and said, "Hey, can I just pray for you, brother? Can I pray for healing right now on your on just the sickness? I mean, and believe that that God will heal him." I I struggle to believe that myself. I'm up here preaching to you this morning about it, and listen, I struggle with it too. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to lay any guilt or burden on you that that I don't already carry in this stuff. So understand, we we forget that, we miss that, right? We let our theology kind of shape. And harden, in my opinion, harden our hearts, right, to, to the spirituality of God. Because theology, right, is not just 
knowing God in our heads. It's not just being able to explain God to people that don't know God. It's not explaining God for the, for the, for the sake of, you know, just being able to say, oh, I understand the Bible. I mean, theology is also heart knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. And, 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 and theology is the study of God. It's knowing God deeper. Right? So if we're not doing that, if we're not reading our Bible, if we're not, well, I'm not just talking about showing up at church and reading what everybody's preaching about. I'm talking about in the Word every day, right? In some form or fashion, looking upward at God. Maybe you don't have time to sit down and read your Bible, but maybe you're, you're praying, right? You're worshiping, right? Paul preaching long into the night, talking, breaking bread, you know, have, having communion, taking communion with brothers, fellowshipping, right? I'm sure that all night he didn't preach all night. Now, he might have, but he preached, he preached for a good while. But, but it does say he had broken bread and eaten. So I'm sure some fellowship was going on in that moment. And so what I want us to stop doing or what I want us to, I just, it's just we, we can't put God in a box. Right? You'll hear me say that a lot. We can't put God in the box. And before we move on in the text, that's what I want to get across to you is, is, is God is bigger than a box. Right? I mean, God could create a new color if he wanted to. He's creator. He'd do what he wants, right? He sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. And I want you to, as we, as we continue on, I, I wanted to deal with this text, the, 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 the story of Eutychus up front, just to give you, kind of set the tone for Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders as we, as we move into this and, and the kind of people that we are gathered to be. So in verse 13, uh, Paul really, he just sets sail again after the, after the, after the, he raises this kid from the dead. He sets sail again and ends up in, in, in Miletus, Miletus, sorry, my, Miletus, golly, Miletus. And uh, he ends up there and that's where we see he kind of, he kind of avoids um, going to Asia and, and, and a lot of, a lot of historians and scholars believe that he did this to avoid another upset in Ephesus. So he kind of, he kind of sails past and goes around Ephesus to avoid uh, he, what he might fear is another riot to cause distraction. So he, he ends up there. He calls for the, for the Ephesian elders to come. And one important part of this, verse 17, uh, as we start this, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, is, is to remember this is different in style and context than any other speech Paul delivers in throughout Acts. We don't see any other, any other speech worded this way. And this is actually his only speech to Christians, right? Every other time you see Paul speaking, he's speaking to, to Pharisees or, or people that are lost or he's preaching to the lost. This is the only time we see him speaking and preaching, basically, speech to, to Christians. This is also his third and final time that he will be speaking to this particular group of people. The first time we see him address the, the church in Ephesus is Jews. The second time is Gentiles. And this last and third time is Christians. Okay, so that's just... That's just some fun facts for you, too, on the, on the Scripture. But let's go ahead and read as we get into this. And I want you to pay particular attention to the, to the heavy, heavy words that Paul uses in this. This is a very sad part of Scripture. I don't know if this is an exciting speech, but it's, it's very sad and it's moving if you let it. So it's verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him... He said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
and teaching you in a public in public and from house to house. Okay, so he's teaching these people in public. He's preaching the gospel on the streets, in the synagogues, but he's also doing it in private in their homes as he goes from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Pause. Okay, so some heavy words he's, wrote, he's using there. Humility, tears, trials, shrink, declaring. He's, he's letting them know. He's setting up a foundation of what he did in the past with these people, right? He's setting up a, a, a past, a present, and a future kind of motif as he preaches through this. And he says he's, he's constrained by the Spirit, He's being led by the Spirit, meaning he can't enact his own will. He's under the power of the Holy Spirit. He's doing, he's being obedient. He's going forward, right? And then he says, he follows that up with not knowing what will happen to me there. So I'm going unknowing. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what's waiting for me other than what the Holy Spirit is telling me in every other town that afflictions and imprisonment await me. So think about that. Let that sit for a second. This, this man is being led by the Holy Spirit, under his, not under his power, under, under the Spirit's power. He's going regardless to be obedient and knows the only thing he knows that's waiting for him is jail and a beating. That's it. So my question to you is, has God ever asked you to go somewhere? Has he ever asked you to go outside of your comfort zone? Asked you and called you to be a part of something that's outside of yourself? Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. But if he has, has, has he told you what's awaited you? Has the Spirit told you, hey, I need you to go here, and this is what's going to happen? Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. But if he, but if he has, would you still go? If he said, I need you to go here, and this is what it's going to look like, and it's not going to be fun, it's not going to be Dollywood, right? We're not going to hang out and eat corn dogs, right? You're going to be thrown in jail, and you're going to be beat. Would you still go? <clears throat> my story, personal, some of you know our, my testimony or our story, me and my, my bride's Brandy's story. Um, but we were, you know, five years ago, we were sitting in a church much larger than this, about 2,000 people on a Sunday morning, three services, big, big church. And I was working, I was on staff with the church. I, got, I had recently been saved and, and kind of went on staff immediately after that. So I was exposed immediately to the gospel. And so we were working at this church, or I was working at this church, and and really just going through the motions. And Brandy, Brandy, got this, Brandy got this kind of instinct. She just said, you know what? We need to declutter, right? Has anybody experienced this? Husbands, decluttering, right? Decluttering? Okay. So we need to declutter. We need to get rid of it. And I'm thinking, what? that's great, as long as it's not my stuff. <laughs> We're touching my stuff. You know, we've already been down that. She threw my favorite pair of shorts away when we first got married. And she hadn't forget, I hadn't let her forget it yet. So we start decluttering, right? She starts she starts getting rid of things we don't need. Our house begins to get empty. Things start to, start to miss. And, and I'm going, okay, all right, I like this. This is cool. You know, we got a little bit more space, a little bit more room. I'm thinking we're just going to fill it back up, though, right? That's what's going through my mind. And so then God moves on my heart and says, hey, I need you to go to Ethiopia, right? I need you to be a part of this mission trip and go to Ethiopia. And I thought, man, that's the last place I want to go. Right? I want to go to Puerto Rico or something, man. I don't want to go there. You know, I thought, why, why do I got to go to Ethiopia? 
And so through, to keep the story short, long, long chain of events, Brandy ends up being on that trip with me. She ends, up, she ends up getting to go. So a husband and wife, as a husband and wife, we get to go to Africa and serve in Ethiopia. And let me tell you something. We got there. We got there kind of out of mission season. So a lot of the missionaries had already come. So a lot of the work that this village and camp we were serving had already been done. So we really couldn't do a whole lot. They were kind of finding jobs for us. So I had a little bit of a medical background with being a firefighter, EMT. So they asked me, hey, would you be willing to serve in our medical clinic? You know, would you be willing to take care of these people? They need medicine. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, times out I'm not a doctor. But they're like, doesn't matter. We just, we just need you to help. So Brandy comes in there. And let me tell you, we had, my wife and I had such a beautiful, beautiful time. For three days, we got to sit in that medical clinic and serve the people of Ethiopia together right? I, I, I witnessed some amazing things. We got to wash a leper's feet together. And listen, I'm not saying that to boast or brag. I'm saying that because, because it was amazing. Like I got a, a great opportunity. God allowed and provided me a great opportunity to serve with my bride. But more importantly, in that moment, he was preparing us for this, right? He was preparing us for Knoxville, Tennessee. We didn't know that. Knoxville wasn't even on the radar. We came back from that trip and we began to we began to sell our things. We don't need these things anymore. We need to get rid of this. It moved from decluttering to we got rid of, we sold everything we owned except the one car garage full of our belongings, right? Walked into my kids' room and asked them after church if this is true. I gave them a 30-quart tub and I said, whatever goes in it, you get to keep. Everything else gets sold or thrown in the trash, right? We sold everything we had and we moved into a fifth wheel. Four people and a Great Dane, 340 square feet. Yeah, that's a that's true story. That's a true story. And let me tell you something. If you want to grow as a family, stick your family in a fifth wheel with a Great Dane. I'm just saying. You will grow tremendously, but you'll grow together. Right? We spent five months in that fifth wheel where you, couldn't, you, you weren't not ever rubbing shoulders with somebody, trying to like, hey, well, the table. We had to set the dinner table up every night and take it down or we wouldn't be able to live in that space. It's a crazy, crazy story. But listen, all that was doing was preparing us for the next year and two years, right? Because that five months we spent shoulder to shoulder, we spent the next 12 months living in two different cities, 300 miles apart while I was raising support and she was taking care of her dad up in Dallas. I was in Midland, that's a six hour drive and we were living for a year that way. God prepared us in that moment. But he also prepared us for when we got here because when we got here, right? Let me tell you something, he, Luke, or God, sent Luke as a vessel to warn me, right? As I said, Luke, I want to come to Knoxville. We're going to come to Knoxville. I'm going to help you with Legacy Church. I'm going to raise support. I'm going to plant my, plant my own church one day. Luke's going, brother, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? I'm like, yes, I want to do this. I'm doing it. Man, he tried to talk me out of it about 300 times. I'm not, I'm not even kidding, right? He tried to talk me out of it, trying to prepare me for what was to come. But I, was, I didn't want any of it. I didn't listen. I'm coming. And now about every six months, I call him and say, hey, why'd you, why'd you talk me into this? About every six months, I call him and say, what are you doing? Because it's hard, right? It's hard. I didn't know what was going to await me. Paul, Paul's standing here in front of these Ephesians elders saying, listen, this is, I know what's going to happen to me. I'm going and I know what's going to happen to me, right? But sometimes when God calls us to things, we don't have a clue what's going to happen. We have no clue. And then fear sets in and we don't want to step out, right? We don't want to step out and walk in that. We just get afraid. We start closing up. But here Paul's providing an abu- a beautiful, painting a beautiful picture of what it looks like to submit to the Spirit, right? And let the Holy Spirit lead and guide. So verse 24, let's go back to it. 
But I, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What's he saying there? It's pretty, pretty cut and dry. He's speaking to these people that he's done life with, right? He's, he's, he's preached the gospel to these people, some of them probably as Jews and as Gentiles, and watched them convert to Christianity. He's walked with them. He's bled with them in this church, literally. Not in the sense where you hear me say, man, I'm bleeding with this guy. No, no, no. He was beaten, right? Imprisoned. He literally bled with these people. And he's saying, you'll never see my face again, right? Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying here, listen, I've done every single thing I can. I have been true to the word. I have ran the race. I've preached the gospel. I've given you everything the Holy Spirit has given me, right? And he's saying, if you still don't believe, if you still don't get it, the blood's on your hands. I've done everything I can. I've been beaten, imprisoned. I've been obedient to the word of God. And he's saying, if you don't get it, I'm innocent of the blood of all. So do we live, another question is, do we live our lives in this way? Do we live out loud? Do we live on mission? Right? Are we a people immersed in the gospel living on mission? Are we that people? Like Paul, immersed in the gospel. We just finished up a a spiritual discipline uh, module in our residency. And we really got to take a look at what our devotional slash spiritual slash whatever you want to call it life looks like. How many minutes and hours a week do we spend in prayer, in worship, reading the Bible, journaling, right? Focusing on God. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and, and do any smoke and mirrors. I mean, I, I struggle to read the Bible every day. I struggle with that. But we have to be a people immersed in the gospel, living on mission. Because that's the calling, right? That's the calling, to live on mission. Verse 28, 28, he gives a warning. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, the NASB says savage wolves, will come in. Important to note, will come in. From the outside, will come in. You, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Listen, wolves, focus on that word right now. Wolves aren't people immersed in the gospel, living on mission. That's not what they are, right? And just so you're clear, just so we're clear, 
And, and so Paul is very clear. He's, he does state that they will come in. So there's going to be some outside influence. People, people might come in and try to cause division and chaos, right? But more importantly, what's, what sticks out to me is he says your own selves, right? Your own selves. So what happens when we separate ourselves from the word? What happens when we, when we stop believing the truth that God gives us in scripture? We start substituting our own, our own beliefs and our own idols in there, right? We become wolves, And it happens over time. It happens gradually. But what, what other things? What, let's, get, let's get kind of a little bit deeper, right? Wolves, are, wolves can look a lot of different ways. And I, and I want to just keep focusing on the word wolves just for, just for a second. But wolves can be tolerable of sin, right? We sit in here every week, and th- this gathering is important. We, we, we're here together gathering community um, worshiping God together, but out during the week, we know people. We get into people's lives. We know people that are sitting next to each other in here. We, we, we know true stories and we know lives. What happens if, if you're tolerable to sin? What does that look like? Well, that, you know, that guy's got a, he's struggling with addiction, but, but he's still a good guy. He takes care of his family, not calling that sin out in someone. Listen, the last thing Jesus ever was, was tolerable to sin. Amen? Thank you. Right? He was loved. Don't get me wrong. He loved people, right? He loved on people. He cared for the sick. He healed the sick. He, he, he cared for the widow and the orphan. But the last thing he was was tolerable to sin. And I'm telling you, if you're tolerable to sin, you're no different than a wolf. You're not building up the bottle. You're not, you're not edifying the body in that. What if you neglect your theology? You neglect the knowing and studying of God, studying God to know God, right? You let that start to seep in. You have to know God. But we tell ourselves all the time, but, but, but I was in Bible drill when I was a kid, right? I had the little felt board things. You know, I, I know the story of God. I know God. But do you know him? Do you know him intimately? What about church bashing? Can we just get real honest real quick? I mean, listen, right here, transparent as I'll get out. I am the first person to rail on megachurches. Just honest. I'm the first person that wants to rail on a megachurch about building big buildings, about what they're doing here. But, but in all honesty, have I done, you know, if they spend X amount of dollars on a building, have I done the research to figure out what their budget reflects and mission and the work they do? I know I do it here. Right? We just had a partnership meeting where, where Luke, Luke opened up, a, we opened up a, a, a pamphlet or brochure, whatever you want to call it, had all the, all the numbers for the church and we could see where our money went. I felt real satisfied in that. I thought, good, yeah, for our size of our church, we're doing these things. They're really helpful. I know how much is going into church planning. I know how much is going into mission. I know how much we're going into f- facilities, right? But, but when I start bashing these bigger churches, right, how does that build up the body? How does that edify the person next to me? How does that take care of the body. I become a wolf. I become, divis- I become divisive. I become confusing. I cause chaos. We think it's just a, a little, little statement we throw out, right? How many times have we sat in our living room and talked about this service, right? About what could be better? What could we do different, right? It's tough. We let that stuff control us and change us 
causing division from within. Verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul, for three years, preached his guts out. Right? I, I pray for the day that the Holy Spirit works through me and uses me as a vessel to where I'm, I, you guys are crying and I'm crying. We're all crying together. He's preaching his guts out every day for three years. He says night and day. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. All those who were sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's come full circle now. Past, present, future, and what is to come. He's pleading with these, with these elders. He knows he will not see them again. And he's pleading to, to, to keep fighting. Never quit. To be a people immersed in the gospel Living on mission. He's pleading with them. Do this night and day. And it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Can we get an amen on knelt down? Anybody in here pray on your knees? Now listen, I want to do it more. I wish I could do it more. I wish I, do, I, wish I did do it more. But man, when you do it, it's just so humbling. Right? It's so humbling to get on our face in front of our king and just pray. It's humbling to take communion on your knees and pray. And listen, if you do that this morning, nobody's going to look at you weird. Right? It's okay to do that. It's okay to humble ourselves before our king. And that's what they did here. They, they, they knelt as a group and they prayed. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they, were, they, and they accompanied him to the ship. They are sad. They're broken. They're crying. They're weeping. They will not see Paul again. This is a man that has bled with them. This is a man that was willing to die for them. This is a man that was obedient to the call on his life. He was a man that was immersed in the gospel and lived on mission every single day. Got to wrap it up, close real quick. But a few questions this week, just practically leaving here. What, what this kind of, Trevor's going to put them up in a second, but these are questions that are going to help you, I hope. I'm going to put them up on, on the web, so they'll be up on the weekly, so you'll have access to them. And a few more, but these are just a few that we're going to talk about today. And I've, and I've, and I've bolded and, and, and capped certain words because I want, those are the things I want you to, to remember. Those are the things I want you to, to go home and discuss with your family, with your friends. Are we a people gathered to Jesus? And you say, well, I don't know. What does that mean? What does that even look like? Well, are we a people that live together? Are we, do we do life together? Are we doing life outside of our missional community where we're not really hanging out with the people that we do life with on a weekly basis? We're looking for other places to hang out and people to be gathered to. Are we a people gathered in our homes? Do we gather in our homes 
and, and image Christ? Are we gathered together? Are we a people gathered to Jesus? Second question. Are we immersed in the gospel? And listen, I'm not challenging you to read your Bible every day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's a good thing if you do that, right? That's, that's an amazing thing if you do that. But if you don't, are you praying, right? Are you speaking truth to yourself, your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, your children? Are you worshiping God? Do you take five minutes out of your day and just step outside and thank him for creating all that he's created in you? And your family and the people around you do that sometimes. It's a great thing. And the last question is, are we living on mission in light of all this? And when I say living on mission, listen, I'm not talking about getting on a plane and flying 30 hours to Africa. If that's what you want to do, that's great. I'm not, I'm not dis- dismissing any of that. I did that. There's people in this room that have done that multiple times. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, are you living on mission in light of this? Are you, are you daily walking this out? Do you know your neighbor's name? Right? Do you know your neighbor's name? Can you talk to you? Do you have, do you have, do you have weight in someone's life? Are you discipling someone? Right? And this can be applied to anything. Our work, our family, our homes, children, spouses, friends, neighbors, relatives. Today, go ahead and stand. We're going we're gonna to close this out. Today we're going to, the team's going to come out and we're going to, they're going to, they're going to sing and lead us in worship. But as we pray today in this, in this time, like Luke talked about, give your hearts time to respond. Listen, nothing I've said up here today is, is, is just, you know, amazingly beautiful and, and, and just, you know, I don't want you to focus on any of that. I want you to focus on the word of God and what, what God spoke to us today through his word. And in this time, respond and pray and as Paul did in this gathering in this upper room with the, with the stuffy lamps, we don't have stuffy lamps, we have LED lights, right? But as we, as we sing and, and they lead us, I want, you to, I want you to pray, ask God to reveal your brokenness in your heart, ask him to provide you with clarity so that you can go back there, you take communion um, as, a, as a community. We encourage that if your community group takes communion or, or individually or lead your spouses in that. But let's pray. God, thank you for... Your love, God. Thank you for your, your grace. God, your, uh, just your call on our hearts and our lives, God, to do what it is you've called us to do, whatever that looks like. And it looks different for everyone in this room. God, there's, a, God, there's the, the Holy Spirit that we sometimes forget, that we, God, that we push out. We let our theology, we let our, we let our heads drive out your spirituality, God, and what you really, how you really care for us. God, and how you love us, how you sent your son to die for us in our place so that we can live. God, and I, and I just ask today that you would just, in this moment, God, reveal to us your heart and show us your heart. God, show us your, your spirit. God, I pray that, that, God, we just, we raise our voices, raise our hands, God, move our feet, whatever we got to do, God, to, to just, to just as, Luke, as Luke often tells me, uh, David, I will be more indignified than this, God. I just pray that we have a heart like David's heart, God, to worship you, to fall on our face, God, to kneel before you, to take, take communion and humbleness, God.
I pray that we, would, we wouldn't just go back there and take bread, God, and eat it dipped in juice. I pray that we would take it and, God, spend time fervently just seeking your face, God, in it. I just thank you for, for all you've done for me and my life, these people's lives that are here today. God, how you're saving and reconciling them to yourself. I thank you for each one of them. And I just pray today, God, that you reveal yourself clearly to us. Amen.